Romans chapter 1 today, Romans chapter number 1, and if you join me in just a moment, Romans chapter 1, verse number 14, Romans 1, 14. You know, back in the day of the Western movie, it wouldn't have been uncommon for you to hear the cowboy say something like, if you'd allow me to warm myself by the fire, I'd be much obliged. Or you might hear him say something like, ma'am, if you'd allow me to water my horse and put up in the barn tonight, I'd be much obliged. And by that, what he's communicating is if you would do something for me, I would be, in a sense, in your debt. I would be somewhat obligated to show some kindness to you for the kindness that you have shown to me. Today, we're going to look at a picture, a portrait of a man who was much obliged. You might say that he was a debtor. He said, in effect, I am forever in your debt. It is the portrait of an indebted man. Your Bibles are open right now to Romans chapter 1. Let's begin reading in verse number 14, Romans 1, 14. Here the Apostle Paul writes, I am debtor, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome also, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You and I do something, I I suspect, maybe on a more common basis than we understand, we oftentimes self-define. We we put at times a little tag next to our name in some form of media that helps people understand who is it that is the person behind the name. Maybe you've applied for a job before and when you're filling out some application, they're saying, tell us a little bit about yourself. Give us a picture of who you are. And you and I have this this very special, in fact, it's almost rare throughout scripture. We have this sketch, this portrait. It's almost an autobiographical sketch that the apostle Paul leaves for us. And he's going to picture himself And he does so in some powerful, albeit very succinct wording. Now, if you had to self-define, how would you self-define yourself? If you could choose, I don't know, maybe three words or three simple statements to tell others about yourself, what words would you attach to yourself? You know, I, I think sometimes we would use words like, I am, and then you insert the word like overwhelmed. I am in love. I am happy, I am tired, I am hungry, I am nervous, focused, I'm confused, I am lonely, I'm confident, I am hurting, I am guilty, and so on. How would you self-define by choosing words that would be some portrait or picture of you In our passage today, the Apostle Paul is going to do that. And each time he does it, he does it three times. Each time he does so, he begins it or introduces this picture of himself with the two words, 
I am. And then he tells us something about who he is. So let's look at these I am's of the apostle Paul. Certainly they're different than the I am's of Christ, but we do learn some portraits, pictures of Paul that scripture has left for us. Let's start in verse number 14. The first thing that we see is I am a debtor. Verse number 14, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. The first thing that the Apostle Paul recognizes about himself is his debt. Now, some of you might very quickly say, I identify with that, okay. Well, Paul is just saying, I'm not in debt necessarily because of my mortgage. He's saying, I am obligated. There is something that is laid on me and I'm not trying to get out of debt. I'm not trying to run from this obligation that I have. In fact, the more I understand what's been done for me, the, the grander, the greater, the more special my indebtedness actually becomes. He's expressing the fact that he was given something to in turn give to others. And by giving what he has received, what he has received is actually not diminished, it's actually enhanced. His, his debt doesn't decrease by, by unloading. It actually deepens and grows and becomes more special. You say, well, well, what kind of a debt are we really talking about? There's a passage of scripture in 2 Kings chapters 6 and 7. And the story is told about how the Syrian army has encircled the, the capital city of Jerusalem. And the city is so... Uh, um, I don't know, impoverished because of this surrounding enemy that there are parts in the city that have actually resorted to cannibalism. There are four lepers who understand their own perilous situation. So the four lepers, they begin to talk amongst themselves and they say this, they say, listen, if we go into the city, there's no food there, we're going to die. If we don't do anything, we just continue to exist as we are existing, we're going to die. So let's turn ourselves in, surrender ourselves to the Syrian army. And one of two things is going to happen. We, we may die. They may kill us. Well, well, that's going to happen to us anyways. But there is a chance that they'll take us as captives. They'll take us as prisoners. And then we'll be fed as prisoners and we will live. Well, that night... They were going to turn themselves in in the morning, early in the morning. That night, God sent a noise to the Syrian army, rescuing his people. The Syrians hear this noise. It's the noise as if there is a vast army approaching. And when the Syrians hear this, there's confusion in the middle of the night in the camp. And, and all of a sudden, as fast as they can, the whole host of the Syrians actually vacate their camp. The four lepers come upon the camp and they're, they're can you imagine the scene? You know, um, um, hello, hello, we're, we're surrendering. And I mean, hands are raised. The white flag is being waved and, and hello, someone, we're, we're surrendering. You know, no, no spears, no arrows. We're giving ourselves up and nothing. I mean, they keep yelling. We're trying, hello, we're your prisoners. And they start to go to tents. I mean, can you imagine? They're nervous because we go in a tent and someone's going to throw a spear at us. And, and I don't know if you can knock on the door of a tent, but they, they go approach the tent. They're trying to get in and, and no one will answer the tent. And finally, hello, 
oh, there, there's no one. There's no one in this one. Let's find another tent to turn ourselves. They keep going from tent to tent. There's nobody in the camp. Well, can you imagine the, the, the pleasant surprise that has come upon these lepers? They go and there's nobody in the tent. They are living like kings. They are feasting on the food, the riches, the clothing. In fact, these guys said, hey, listen, we have come upon something good. And so they start to haul off some food, clothes, some, some of the gold, silver that's left. And they, they take it and they hide it. And they're like, man, we could keep doing this. But, but one of them says or inserts into the conversation what's recorded for us here. Listen to what they said. 2 Kings 7, beginning in verse number 9. Then they said one to another, we do not well. This day is a day of good tidings. That word, those two words are very interesting. We do not well. What we're doing right now is not right. This is a day of good tidings. And we hold our peace. If we tarry till the morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Now, therefore, come that we may go and tell the king's household. The, the words good tidings. Well, obviously, this is not written in the Greek language. But, but if it were, it's the same word conveying the same idea that we would translate into gospel in the New Testament. Do you know what they said? We have a gospel message. What's the gospel? The gospel is simply good news. And they said, we do not well. We have something that we should be sharing that is life-giving for other people. And we've hoarded that good news to ourselves. We do not well. This is the kind of news that must be shared. Basically what they're saying, we have a debt to people who are starving right now. These are people that are impoverished. These are people that are without. And we have something that will take care of their need. We do not well to keep this news to ourselves. In Ezekiel chapter 33, we have both a warning and a message of hope to share. God spoke to the prophet Ezekiel and he's explaining that Ezekiel was not free to do whatever he wanted with the knowledge he'd been given. With that knowledge also came responsibility. And so God uses an illustration with Ezekiel. He says, Ezekiel, if there's a watchman that is tasked with, with watching for the enemy, he's on some post, some outlook, some lookout, and he sees the enemy approaching and he blows his trumpet, telling other people, warning them, there's danger coming, then he's done well. Now, the person who hears it, it's up to them what they do with the message communicated, but the watchman's job is singular. When, when you come upon information that affects other people, you are watching on their behalf. Now that passage goes on and it says Ezekiel chapter 33, it says in verse, he says, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel in verse number seven. Therefore thou shalt hear the word at my mouth and warn them for me. When I say unto the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die. If thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand Nevertheless, if thou warn the wicked of his way to turn from it, if you do not turn away from it, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. 
What God is telling to Ezekiel is, Ezekiel, you are set as a watchman. You have been given information. You have not only a a, a responsibility, you have an obligation to declare the message that I am giving to you. Paul reiterates this very idea when he wrote to the church at Corinth. 1 Corinthians 9.16, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for of necessity it is laid upon me. Yea, woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. The Apostle Paul is saying, hey, listen, I have something to preach and, and I don't have anything to glory of. This, don't look at me and say, wow, Paul, thanks so much for preaching the gospel. He says, what else can I do? I, I have this obligation, woe on me if I preach not the gospel of Jesus Christ. We see that there is some kind of, of good Samaritan understanding. The good Samaritan, when, when others saw the need and they simply passed by, the good Samaritan looks on the need, he sees a man hurting, and he says, what, what else could I do but go help the one that I have the resources, the ability, life-giving help to provide for this one in need. The songwriter said it well when he wrote, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Interestingly enough, many today believe that they are owed something rather than being indebted themselves. We, we are in this world right now where we kind of look at other people as responsible to do something for us. Like, like the world is indebted to me. Like God owes me something. God owes me happiness or he owes me health. God owes me companionship or success or wealth. He owes me something. And then we begin to to go maybe at times a little beyond the fact that God owes me something. And we start to, to have this sense of entitlement regarding others. My spouse owes me respect for all that I've done for them. My kids owe me something because I've cared for them. My boss owes me a raise because of how hard I've worked for him. My church owes me a good parking space and a good seat because how much I have given to it, et cetera, et cetera. Sadly, many of us grow old in Christ, but at times we are not growing up in Christ. As we grow in him, we realize I am not free. I am a debtor. And notice the breadth of the debt that Paul owes. He says, I'm a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. The Greeks. Okay, so, so Paul's not speaking necessarily or exclusively about nationality, but about those who were considered or at least considered themselves to be cultured. So the Greeks. This now broadly applies to, to those that are of Greek nationality, but the Roman culture had adopted the Greek culture as their own. So he's saying, okay, I owe this message to those who are or consider themselves to be the cultured. But then he goes beyond that. And then he says to the barbarians, this would include those that would be uncultured, maybe by their speech or by their practice. The word's an interesting word. The word barbarian was coined by the Greeks because they found it difficult to understand the speech of certain peoples that were not as refined as were they. And so they would say, do you know, sometimes we use the expression blah, 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 blah. Well, the Greeks would use the expression bar, 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 bar. 
so barbarian, okay? Have you ever talked to someone that you had a hard time understanding, okay? Now, I grew up in the north, okay, where we speak much more proper English, okay? (laughs) And some of you have grown up in the south. How many of you have ever had a difficult time understanding a person who had a strong dialect or accent? How many of you have had a hard time understanding? Okay, now, this is a little family secret, a little family information, and and I haven't gotten prior approval for this, so this might cost me dearly, okay? So, but this, this part, does, this is just what it is. My wife loves some things that I don't like. So I like rhubarb custard pie. My wife does not. My wife likes boiled peanuts. I do not, okay? But I buy them for her. And you know the best places to buy them. It's not the grocery store in this, you know, sanitized, very clean environment. The best place to buy boiled peanuts is at the side of the road from some place that should be shut down, okay? (laughs) So you buy them from the side of the road. And and I bought some one time. This is the truth, okay? It's just the truth. I bought them at a a place one time. And and, um, I went up and there's a man that's standing there and he started to talk to me and I, and I just paused. I'm like, I'm sorry? And he said, well, he's talking about I had no idea what he was saying. The whole time I said, um, I'll take a medium, please. Sure, yeah, yeah. Whole time I have no idea what he's saying. And, and I think I spent $212 because I just, you know, sure, whatever, yes, sir, okay. You know, now off we go. <laughs> okay, now, now let me ask you this. Are there people that, that if he spoke like I do, they'd say, what in the world? Couldn't understand. What happened to him? I can't understand a thing he's saying. Okay, so, so they considered others to be the barbarians. Bar, 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 bar. But do you know what the Apostle Paul said? He said that the gospel is the great equalizer of men. The gospel is the, the common ground on which we all stand. He said, so, so both. Now the Jews, the Jews would divide it by the Jews and the Greeks. The Greeks would say, well, the, the, the Greeks and the, the barbarians, the, the wise and the unwise, the educated. The un-. He's, he, do you know, however you divide it yourself, the gospel reduces all of those divisions. And it invites all to come to him. And who needs that message? So, so when the Apostle Paul's talking about his debt, he's talking about his debt to all of mankind. And, and he's, he's saying, listen, I don't care what group you put yourself in. This is our obligation that I gladly have taken as my own. I recognize this is the need of all mankind. There is Therefore, salvation, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And the Apostle Paul simply says, I am a debtor. And do you know how we know that he's not just saying, okay, I have to pay a debt? Do you know, sometimes we do so because of a sense of integrity. Sometimes we do so because of this moral obligation, but the Apostle Paul doesn't leave it with, let me tell you a little bit about who I am. First of all, I'm a debtor, but I am so eager to 
embrace this debt. And it is a debt I am not trying to crawl out from underneath. This This is the debt of my life. Look at the next verse of scripture, verse number 15. He starts with, I am a debtor, and then he goes to, I am ready. Verse number 15, so as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Here the apostle Paul uses the word ready. There are two words that are used as ready in the New Testament. The first ready would be in Acts chapter 21, verse number 13. Then Paul answered, what mean ye to weep and to break mine heart? For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The word ready there means I'm prepared. Listen, Paul wasn't eager to go and and see his life taken from him, but he was prepared. Should his life be called upon, if he has to actually give his own life for the sake of the gospel message, he was prepared. But that's not the word that's used in Romans. I think we should be prepared, ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. But that's not what Paul uses here. The next word for ready is the word in our own text. He says, I am ready. And there the word means eager. I'm eager. There are some things that we're prepared for. Okay, hey, are you prepared for your test? You've studied, you've worked, you've, you've reviewed. You are prepared. I'm ready. But might not be eager. You might not be skipping to class saying, I am so eager, okay? And, and if you are, you need other help, all right? <laughs> but you might be prepared. Paul's not only prepared to share the gospel. This is the, the burden of his heart. P- Paul can't wait to say, Lord, who's next? I don't believe this. I don't believe that Paul was simply going and shaking every person that he would come along, come across on his journeys everywhere. But I do think that Paul was eager saying, Lord, who's next? Isn't it interesting that when Paul was in Athens, he tours the streets. I mean, he walks around, he's observing. Are there people walking past him? Did did Paul sense like, I I have to tell you, I have to tell you. Hey, 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 wait, 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 don't go. Let me finish talking to him and I'm gonna... Was that how Paul is interacting with mankind? I don't believe it was, but I do believe that Paul was eager saying, Lord, okay, who's next? Who can I share this with next? Where's the next opportunity? I have an obligation, Lord. I am indebted and I'm eager. So reveal to me, show me. Lord, prepare me. I wanna be ready to give that answer. But Father, please know I am eager to represent you to people in need. And where is he saying he's about to share the gospel? Sir Henry Ryder Haggard once wrote, nowhere was high culture so completely wedded to the lowest barbarism. Intellect, Rome had in plenty. The noblest efforts of her genius are scarcely surpassed. Her law is the foundation of the best of our codes of jurisprudence. Art she borrowed but appreciated. Her military system is still the wonder of the world. Her great men retain their greatness among the multitude of competitors. And yet how pitiless she was. What a tigress 
Amid all the ruins of her cities, we find none of a hospital, none, I believe, of an orphan school in an age that made many orphans. The pious aspirations and efforts of individuals never seem to have touched the conscience of the people. Rome incarnate had no conscience. She was a lustful, devouring beast made more bestial by her intelligence and splendor. This was a harsh city, consumed with itself and not the needs of others. It would pass others by as if if they were of no importance unless they could in some way, shape, or form help advance the cause of Rome. And how often do we become consumed with self and pay others little heed unless they can advance the cause of self? To to what people is the Apostle Paul eager to share the gospel? Understanding I have this obligation and I'm eager to embrace it. He says, "I'm, I'm ready also to share the gospel with you at Rome. There are many ways that this can be accomplished even today with people like you and me. One of the first ways that you can actually represent Christ well This is one of the foundational early ways. And if you haven't done this yet and you're a Christ follower, you've missed a wonderful opportunity to advance what it is that Christ has done in you personally, privately, to other people publicly. Do you know one of the first ways that we just with eagerness, with readiness, uh, man, I, I feel obliged to do this is through the waters of baptism. Do you know what baptism is? Baptism becomes this public demonstration. I'm telling the world about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is what Christ did on my behalf. Christ, who in open shame took upon himself the iniquity of us all. And now with with an open obligation that I take on with readiness, with eagerness, I, I want other people to publicly know what privately, personally has taken place in my heart and life. Have you ever followed the Lord through believer's baptism? Baptism never saved anybody. But baptism is a powerful first step of obedience for those who have followed him. It's a wonderful way to declare what Jesus Christ has done on your behalf. You say, well, I've done that already. What are other ways? Do you know in our day and age, There are a lot of ways that are extremely approachable. Of course, this doesn't doesn't prevent and this doesn't replace just sharing words with other people by relationship. But you could do something through social media. Does your social media have any indication, any kind of inclination? Is someone inclined to think that they must have some special relationship with Jesus Christ because of what they're posting, how they have self-described themselves through social media. Give someone a gospel pamphlet. Do you know people still take a piece of paper and, and are intrigued by the message that's inside? Bring someone to church or to an evangelistic event. Write a gospel letter. You see, I'm burdened for my uncle or my friend or my neighbor. Be thoughtful then. Thoughtful, engaging. 
burdened, share with them, I care about you. And because I care so deeply about you, I wanted to communicate these truths to you, my friend. Recognize the importance of every contact. Recognize the worth, the value of every person. The, the person that you, you oftentimes and I oftentimes so easily overlook. The person who may just be doing their job, but it annoys us because we don't like that job. That person is the possessor of an eternal soul that will live somewhere forever. So we, we start to see the context of our daily lives in new light. Like, Lord, I'm eager. Is this one? And can't God, the Holy Spirit, be trusted to say, now ask this question. Make this statement. Have this leading conversation. To what end? So that we might share that which has brought us into this glorious indebtedness because of what Christ has done to us. Pray for opportunities. Do you know, we oftentimes say, Lord, what is your will? Well, if the Lord's will is that lost are saved, doesn't it make sense for us to say, Lord, I'm praying that you would grant me opportunities to share the good news of Jesus Christ with those in need. What is it that the Apostle Paul is self-defining as? Well, you know, the first thing he does is he says, I am a debtor. And then he goes on and he says, I am ready. And he concludes it with this beautiful crescendo crescendo of I am not ashamed look with me if you will at verse number 16 for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek the word for at the beginning of this verse is important it connects the previous two verses and it literally means because it's as if Paul is saying, because I am a debtor and because I am eager, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, listen, I am going to share this news and I am not ashamed. There's a difference, by the way, between at times being embarrassed about something and being ashamed. There's a difference. And Paul is, is saying, I, I'm, I'm not ashamed. In fact, he's asking somewhat of a rhetorical or making somewhat of a rhetorical statement. Why would I be? I, I know at times we can be embarrassed. Have you ever given a, a gospel, a piece of gospel literature to someone and they reacted strongly? And maybe in a public environment. I can remember one time I, I, gave, a, um, I gave a gospel tract, a piece of literature, to a person at a counter and they said very loudly, there's a whole line of people standing behind me. They said very loudly, they said, I hate it when people give me this Christian stuff. Can that be embarrassing at that time? Well, sure, we can be a little embarrassed, but don't be ashamed. There's a difference. Paul says, I am not ashamed. Uh, December 18th, 1992. I kissed my wife publicly. Someone said, I now pronounce that you are man and wife. You may kiss the bride. And I did. In front of God and everybody. Okay. I have witnessed that happening on many occasions. In fact, I have officiated on numerous occasions. I now pronounce that you are man and wife. You may kiss the bride. 
And a, a new couple, man and wife, stand there and, and he'll take her in his arms and he will kiss his new bride. And I have watched on numerous occasions this, this beautiful shade of red come across a bride's face. I, you, you can tell she's slightly embarrassed. But she is not ashamed. She has just taken on a new name. She has just become one with another. And she now becomes, they become this, this beautiful picture of, of Jesus and his bride, the church. She may be slightly embarrassed, but she is not ashamed. You and I are wed with Christ. We are one with him. We are those that he said, I have engraved you upon the palms of my hands. There may be times when someone seeks to shame you, and it may be in an embarrassing kind of situation, but, but don't be ashamed. And the Apostle Paul said, with boldness, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? Why be not ashamed of the gospel? Well, first and foremost, because it is truth. And you never have to be ashamed of truth. There is something that the Apostle Paul understands that this was revealed to me. Why would I be ashamed of such life-transforming truth that was given to a people in need? When something is true, we approach it with boldness, even with readiness to proclaim to others, I found something and I want you to find it as well. Before World War II, Adolf Hitler had awarded to several scientists gold medals because of their hard work, their research, and their discoveries in areas that were pertinent to him. It was very public and, and, and very prestigious. He awards them with these beautiful gold medals. After the war began, World War II began, these scientists renounced what Hitler had done. And they took the very gold medals that Hitler had given to them and they turned it over to an organization that were fighting against what he was promoting. So they were melting down these gold medals awarded by Hitler to actually fight against them. And as they melted down the gold medals, they found that the, the gold medals were only thinly covered in gold. They were made out of cheap metal. There is no thin plate of gold over the gospel message. It is the power of God unto salvation to, to everyone that believeth. The Jew first, also to the Greek. He says, listen, this is for the wise, the unwise, the cultured, the uncultured. This is for all of mankind. This is truth. I will not be ashamed. Why? Not ashamed because it is truth, because it is life. In John 5, 24, Jesus said, verily, verily, again, truly, truly, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. John chapter 11, verse number 25 and 26, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Why are we not ashamed? Because it is truth, because it is life. 
And because it is power, the word there is a word that you might well have guessed. If you've heard any words of of like, oh, definition, I, I get what that means. The Greek word there is dunamos. We get the word dynamite from that word. The word is power. It is the power, the dunamos of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. It means power, strength, ability, inerrant power, power residing in a thing by virtue of its nature. It is power to make a hell-bound sinner a heaven-bound saint. The gospel is not self-made, it is power. It is not counterfeit, it is not make-believe the power of God unto salvation. Its very nature is power. Paul knew this well. He'd both experienced the power to change his life and he had seen its power change countless numbers of lives. Lewis Jones understood this power when he wrote the lyrics years ago to, would you be free from your burden and sin? There's power in the blood. He goes on and he says, would you be free from your passion and pride? Come for a cleansing, the Calvary's tide. Would you be whiter, much whiter than snow? Sin stains are lost in its life-giving flow. Would you do service for Jesus, your King? Would you live daily his praises to sing? There's wonderful power in the blood. You say, wow, we, we don't talk so much about the blood. Well, we're talking about the blood of Jesus Christ, his shed blood on our behalf the sacrificial blood of Christ that provides for you and I a restoration that can't be provided without the shedding of his blood. And this blood is effectual for everyone that believes. Can anything be more approachable? Has God made the door any more understood than the door of the gospel? Therefore, Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What a glorious offer has been made to all mankind to simply believe. The gospel is the good news for sinners, and that's you and me. God is holy and we are not, so sin has separated us from God. But there's good news. That's the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that there is a redeemer, one who came to buy us back from the one who owns us. And that is the reality of our sin, death, hell, my master, until I came to a new master who wonderfully bought me back and brought me now into new life, into a new family, a new kingdom, new opportunity. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you and I are debtors. We're obliged. We should be eager saying, Lord, I want to share this. We should be unashamed of the power of God that can take a person like us who are hell bound and make us fit for heaven. This is what you have. It's what I have. We are in possession of the good news of Jesus Christ. The apostle Paul saw when looking at those around him, that which many today care not to see. He saw that he was not free. So he was not hesitant and he certainly was not ashamed. He knew Jesus Christ 
He understood the value of good news that Christ provided. And he knew what he had in Jesus Christ. Do we understand what we have in Jesus Christ? May we be debtors. May we be eager. May we be unashamed.